So God has designed us. His desire for us is that we would bear fruit. And when you think about trees that bear fruit, it's a natural byproduct of who they are, right? I mean, we're not going to walk out into an orchard and see an orange tree just, you know, just squeezing and trying to, you know, I have to make oranges. It's just a natural byproduct. And so it is in the life of Christ. As we walk with the Lord in the newness of life and His love is permeating our hearts, you know, these outward actions just become a byproduct of that. And that's what He's saying. He wants us to just live in that newness of life. to Cross Connection with Pastor Jay Fulton of Cross Connection North Jersey. Join us as Pastor Jay teaches through the Book of Romans. Frustration with ourselves in our walk with Christ can cause us to come under a sense of condemnation. This can lead us into a form of legalism, thinking that we have to do some good works to make sure we're saved. In today's study, Pastor Jay reminds us that good works come as a result of God's grace in our lives. They do not produce that grace. The law was given to lead us to Christ, not to save us. If that's true, then is there a difference between good works done under grace and those done under the law? Now, here's Pastor Jay with part one of his message entitled, Freedom in Christ. Part one. Romans chapter 7. And for our scripture reading, we're going to uh, pick up at verse 1 and read verses 1 through 6. Uh, but Romans chapter 7, Paul writing says this. He says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. And for the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. And so then, if while her husband lives, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, and so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. And wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the latter. Over the past couple of chapters, Paul has been dealing with uh, a tale of two extremes. Two extremes that seem to sort of rise in the life of a believer at some point during their walk with the Lord. And Paul deals with those extremes. He's dealing with one of those in chapter 6, and where he had coined that phrase. He says, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And so there are those that would take that understanding and say that because grace abounds, therefore my lifestyle doesn't matter, that the sin in my life doesn't matter. Because the more I sin, the more justified and the more glorious God's grace is. That's one extreme. The other extreme are those who like to remain under the law. And they see that 
their righteousness uh, in Christ is predicated on how well they're able to keep a code of conduct, a standard, if you will. So Paul has written Romans chapter 6 for those that say that they have a license to sin because they are under grace. Romans chapter 6 is for that person. Romans chapter 7, which we will begin today, is written to address those who still live under a legalistic umbrella. Romans 7, really, it's, it's an explanation of how not to do good things. Remember in chapter 6, Paul was instructing us. There are some things he said that we need to know about our faith. We need to know about the condition that we're in under grace. So he uses that, that word repeatedly. He says, know these things. You should know. And then he goes on to tell us that having understand, coming to an understanding of these things and the things that we know, we are now to reckon ourselves as dead. To reckon, to take action. It's a position of faith. And after reckoning, he says to yield. To not yield your bodies as instruments of unrighteousness, but to yield your members unto righteousness. And we know that in practicing that and doing that, that it leads to spiritual maturity and a life of joy. And we've no doubt experienced that as we've come to a relationship with the Lord and we've set on this path to grow in him and to be matured in him and to walk with him. And and no sooner that we do that, we find that we still live in these bodies, that we still wrestle with the flesh. We still wrestle with the sin nature. And then undoubtedly a collapse can happen. And that person that was living under grace can find themselves going back to this place where they view their righteousness by the standards that we keep. Viewing our righteousness, again, under the law. And so Paul is writing this chapter for those who find themselves in this place. For those who are here today who are wrestling with their faith because of the difficulty of sin. Paul is writing this letter to you. But more importantly, the Lord writes it. Because all scripture is given by God, it's given by inspiration. And the Lord wants you to know that he loves you. He wants you to know that he sees your labor. And he wants you to enter into that place of rest in him and take confidence in his gift. That is the sacrifice of his son that paid for all your sins. He wants us to have confidence in that. And confident that it will cover a multitude of sin. And so what Paul is going to do here, he's going to write for us a few things And there are a few signposts throughout the chapter. But the first is that he wants to demonstrate for us our relationship to the law. How does the law interact with us? And he begins that in verse 1 where he says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. And so he's writing in particular, this particular part, to the Jews, those who would hold the law. He says how that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. And so this is the first thing that he wants us to know, is that the requirements of the law never fade. They never pass away. They never expire. And as long as a man lives under the law, he shall be bound by the law. And to illustrate this point, to illustrate this fact, Paul gives us the example of marriage. And he's pulling from the Levitical law. And he says here, and he's he's reciting that, he says, when a man and woman are united in marriage, it's for life. And we know that because in Genesis, God said that. He said, uh, two shall become one flesh. And he said, what God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. And so in a sense, marriage uh, symbolically is a physical union where two become one flesh, Genesis chapter two. And therefore it can only be broken by a physical cause. And the Bible gives us two of those. Paul's gonna deal with one of them here. The first one is death. A marriage is for life. 
and it's only death that separates. In the New Testament, Jesus speaks of it and he amplifies the other condition and that is unfaithfulness in marriage. But Paul is not dealing with the latter, he's dealing with the former of death. And he's saying here that a woman is going to be bound to her husband in marriage as long as they both live. And as long as the husband lives, she's bound to him. And the law is like that. The law never fades away. The law doesn't die. That as long as we are under the law, we remain in that state. And he goes on to explain that if the husband dies, then that woman, she's free to remarry. Free from that law. And so we know that. And Paul would write this to the church at Galatia. He would say that the man who tries to live by the law, you know, will have to live by the entire set of commandments, by the entire law. But here's what Paul is reminding us of, our status in Christ. And it's this, it's this, is that we have become dead to the law by the body of Christ, and that we should be married to another, even to him, that in Christ, the law didn't die, but we died to the law. And we've died to the law through Christ, because the the law never expires, the law never fades away. Our condition and our position relative to the law needs to change, and that's where grace comes in. And so we've become dead to the law. We died in Christ so that we might be raised with him into a new life. And note this, to be dead to the law doesn't mean that we live a lawless life. We don't live and exist in the state of antinomianism, where anything goes. But what it simply means is this, that our motivation and our power to live a holy life doesn't come from the law, but it comes from God's grace through our union with Christ. That's our motivation. I think of the scripture where it says that we love him because he first loved us. That motivation of love to live right, to do right, to be honorable to the Lord, not keeping certain commands, not living up under uh, the standard of living that is set forth by the law. But he goes on to tell us in that verse that, in verse four, that in the old life, we brought forth fruit unto death, but now in Christ, we bring forth fruit unto life. And that's one of the primary purposes of God's grace in our lives, that we would bear much fruit. I think of Psalm 92, where it says, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. And that bearing forth much fruit, it's speaking of spiritual maturity, that process of sanctification, that process of growing in the Lord, bringing that fruit unto life. I think of Colossians, Paul writing to the church at Colossae. You know, he says that he desires that they would walk worthy of the Lord, being fully pleasing to him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And that comes about by God's grace, by God giving us of his spirit. And if we find ourselves in a place where we're trying to labor for this, we're trying to work for this, where our, our, our mind is embattled because we know that we fall short, then I fear that you've come back under the law. You've come back under legalism. Jesus in the Gospel of John, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, speaking of his disciples, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So God has designed us, his desire for us is that we would bear fruit. And when you think about trees that bear fruit, it's a natural byproduct of who they are, right? I mean, we're not gonna walk out into an orchard and see an orange tree just, you know, just squeezing and trying to, you know, I have to make oranges. It's just a natural byproduct. 
And so it is in the life of Christ. As we walk with the Lord in the newness of life and his love is permeating our hearts, you know, these outward actions just become a byproduct of that. And that's what he's saying. He wants us to just live in that newness of life, just to walk in that freedom of life. And so he goes on to say, when we pick up in verse six, he says, but now this is our current state, no longer in the old state, living up under the flesh. But he says, but now we are delivered from the law. That being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. You know, our place of service is based upon the newness of the spirit. The Christian life is not one of indifference and rebellion. It simply isn't. We have been freed from the law that we might be united with Christ. God has saved us for a purpose that we might serve him that we might honor him with our lives. We have been redeemed that we might serve God. And so the question is this, what's the difference in a good deed according to the law versus good deeds according to grace? What's the difference? How do we understand the difference between the two? Well, the simplest and the most basic answer is this, is that the Holy Spirit is the source of our motivation when we look at good deeds or righteous acts according to grace. But the Holy Spirit is our source of motivation. He's working in our lives. He's working in our hearts to do those things. The unction and the desire comes from him. Because under the law, the law gave the command, thou shalt or thou shalt not, but it gave no ability to conquer that. It gave no ability to do that. And so it left a person hopeless. It left a a person helpless. But the Holy Spirit, the helper, He comes along and he helps us to do those things that we would desire to do. And so under the law, God's commands were written on stone tablets. We know that. We have the 10 split off onto two tablets. But under grace, it's written in our hearts. The law of God is written in our hearts that we might desire to serve him, that we might desire to do those things. And so whereas under the law, there's despair, under grace, there's joy. Whereas under the law, there's bondage. Under grace, there's freedom. Not constrained by uh, what I have to do. Not living up under that pressure, but living freely. Free to serve the Lord. Free to walk in the newness of life. And in the law, there's death. But under grace, there's life. And, And that's our relationship with the law. What the law meant to us. But God's grace has turned that around. And so... Some might question or some might think that Paul is suggesting that the law is useless or that the law is sinful. I mean, if the law could only tell us what was wrong, but did not enable us and that we needed grace, then what's the purpose of the law? Why did God give us the law? Is the law sinful? And that's the question that he's going to raise here in verse seven. He says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? He says, God forbid. He says, no. I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. So the law reveals sin. And he's going to get into a few areas that describe the the ministry of the law, what the law does, the purpose of the law. And he's going to describe that. And the first is that the law reveals sin. And Paul begins to look back on his own experience before he became conscious of his moral responsibility. You know, perhaps as a child, maybe as a young adult, but whenever that awareness came to him, 
And this is what he's writing. He says, I never knew it was wrong to covet until he saw that the law said it was wrong to covet. And that makes sense to us. We, we know that we are violators of the law by measuring our actions and our conduct against the law. When we see in the neighborhood here, a posted speed limit sign that says 25 miles per hour. And then you look in your rear view mirror and you see red and blue lights. The first thing you look at is your speedometer. Am I a violator of the law? And as your heart is racing and you think, oh no, I'm above that 25 mile per hour limit. But by virtue of that signpost, we know that we've broken the law. We know that we're guilty. And we know that the person in the patrol car behind us will be justified in pulling us over. So the, the law, it reveals the sin. It confirms for us. And this is what Paul is saying. This is the purpose of the law. Not that the law was useless or helpless, but that it's to bring us to that place to where we recognize sin in our lives. And our consciousness, Paul tells us in Romans chapter two, also serves as a law, that it bears witness with us. So a person who may not have written law, who may not have written instruction, their consciousness, God has put in the heart of every man the desire to know him, the awareness of what's right and what's wrong, the way things ought to be in every person. And so the law reveals that sin. But the other thing that it does is that it arouses sin. And, and, and Paul says it in this sense, verse eight, but sin taking occasion by the commandment, it says it wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. In other words, uh, all manner of evil desire. That's what that word means, concupiscence. All manner of evil desire. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And so the law here, he's saying that it, it brings about or it arouses sin. Not that the law brought sin itself, but the law, when it was revealed to Paul, it woke up the sin that was already in his heart. And that's what he's saying. By virtue of the fact that the law was expressed, it revealed to me that there was sin already in my heart, that there was sin already in my life. And Paul, at the end of this chapter, he's going to talk about that wretched condition. He's going to talk about the fact that he needs a savior because he's gonna talk about the dilemma that he has, that the good that he wants to do, he doesn't find how to do it. And the bad that he tries to cease from, he finds himself in that place. And have we ever been there? Feeling like every step we take, we're always stepping in the mud. We're always making a mistake. Never able to come to that place of just walking freely before the Lord. And Paul is saying, I've been there too. I know that. And he says, there's a deliverer for that. There's an answer. But he says, this is what the law does. So the law was not the cause, but it gave the occasion of the sin that was already in our hearts. And that's what it reveals. When we read God's word, as we examine it, it examines us. It looks back at us. It challenges us. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to discern between the soul and the spirit. And it's a discerner in the, uh, of the intents of the heart. The word of God is able to pierce through every action that we have. It's able to pierce through that which is our motivations that are born of flesh or born of the spirit of God. And that's why it's important to have that. But he goes on to say that not only does the law reveal sin and the law sort of brings up the sin that's already in our hearts, but he also writes that the law kills. It kills. Going on here in verse 11, he says, for sin and taking occasion by the commandment, it deceived me and by it, it slew me. 
Sin is deceitful. We know the demands of the law. And when we seek to fulfill the righteous commands, we quickly see that we have no ability to keep those commands. And we know that, right? We know that, you know, when we promise ourselves, we promise the Lord that I'm going to do this. Lord, I'm not going to drink that stuff anymore. I'm not going to smoke that. I mean, just all these promises to the Lord. And in our flesh, we have no ability to keep those commands. And we get to the place, according to the law, when we see the law and the requirements of righteousness, that it's hopeless. And how many people have strived to keep religion, but live so far from the ideal? They know that there's a life of righteousness that's out here somewhere for them, and yet how to reach up and grab that, they have no, no idea. And yet we can come to church, and we pray, and we do righteous things, and we do righteous acts, and we do these good things, and yet we find that we are still so far from that ideal. That sin, it's deceitful. The heart, the Bible describes, is above all things desperate and deceitful, deceitfully wicked. And the idea is that it's almost like a, like a meandering heart, that you think it's, it's conditioned, it's over here, okay, this is the condition of my heart, but then it moves, no, it's not really there. You know, it's, it's over here. And it's always this, this push and pull, this search, you're trying to search out and understand the heart. And he goes on to say, who can know the heart? No one can know the heart, but the Lord knows the heart. But the heart is desperately wicked. And so trying to keep those commands, it's deceitful. And it will wipe us out. Trying to maintain religion is tiring. It's burdensome. It will drive you into the ground. And the Lord is saying that he wants his people to enter into his rest to enter into that place where you understand grace and you understand forgiveness. Because if we truly understand that people, if we truly understand God's grace, it will revolutionize your life. It will change your understanding of the things of God. It will transform your life. And this is what he's wanting us to understand. Abraham was accounted righteous because of his faith Therefore, we are accounted righteous because of our faith, putting our trust in the Lord. And so Paul was saying the outcome of this law was death. It slew Paul. Because whenever a commandment is unable to give life, it necessarily brings about death because of the person's inability to keep the commandment. So therefore, judgment comes, right? And it comes against the sinner. And so the law... It shows the sinfulness now, the sinfulness of sin, how, how depraved it is in verse 12 and 13. And he goes on to say, wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just, and it's good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. The law shows us the sinfulness of sin. The law itself is holy. It's holy because it discloses sin in our lives. The law, it's righteous because it condemns you and it condemns me, condemns the sinner. The law is good because of its basic spiritual purpose. That's to drive us to God. That's the purpose of a law. 
to schoolmaster, to tutors, to bring us to that place to where we say, I can't live this way. I can't meet these demands. I can't meet these requirements. So Lord, I need you to help me. That's all the time we have for today on Cross Connection Radio with Pastor Jay Fulton. Jay is the senior pastor of Cross Connection North Jersey. The next time you join us, Pastor Jay will continue teaching through Paul's letter to the church in Rome. Maybe after listening today, a friend or family member came to mind that would be encouraged by this message. Or maybe you'd like to review this message. Today's message and many others are available at crossconnectionradio.com. Select Broadcasts from the main menu. There you'll find the Cross Connection Radio media player. Don't worry, the only thing you need to remember is the web address and today's date. Again, the web address is crossconnectionradio.com. You can download today's message or listen right on the website. We also encourage you to share the message with that person that came to mind. When you log on to crossconnectionradio.com and click on broadcast, you'll be able to post any of the messages to your Facebook page or your Twitter feed. You can even share an email link to the message or connect with us with an email. Send an email to info at crossconnectionradio.com. On behalf of Pastor Jay and the entire production team here at Cross Connection Radio, we want to thank you for joining us today. Be sure to tune in again as Pastor Jay continues through the Book of Romans. That's next time on Cross Connection Radio.